Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the U ain't no bark, dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights, it's prime Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Thursday, July 1st, around 7 p.m. It's been a busy, busy, interesting first day of the name, image, and likeness era in college football. De'Eric King, Miami Hurricanes quarterback, has been busy since about 12.01 a.m., signing a deal to not only represent... A company, a car company, a car towing company for $20,000, him and Bubba Bolden, um, but also getting himself involved with The Wharf, a restaurant uh, slash club here in South Florida where he will be making appearances and getting paid for it. Um, he also launched a, uh, a new company, a Dreamfield, with Mackenzie Milton, the Florida State quarterback. Uh, basically helping athletes secure uh, deals where they get paid for appearances and autographs and memorabilia and so forth. He also launched his own, Dear King did, his own uh, shop where he's selling merchandise, Dear King merchandise. So uh, Manny Diaz, Hurricanes coach, said at Paradise Camp last weekend he wanted his players at Miami to take advantage of the economy in South Florida, take advantage of their fame and get paid for it. And that's exactly what's happened. So far, De'Eric King uh, pocketing the most money, it appears, early on. But Bubba Bolden also got a $20,000 contract uh, with the same towing company, an auto company, uh, based out of Tampa. And, you know, Al Blades Jr., Nestle Silvera, they're all guys working on things here. Uh, so it, it's, it's been a crazy first day. There's going to be a lot more news in the, in the weeks uh, and, and days ahead, but I wanted to, you know, kind of provide you with a little bit of insight. I had a lot of questions myself about what to sort of expect here. And so I reached out to a former hurricane, Adam Arnott. He's a former hurricane center was here during the Al golden era, 2014 to 16, right, right when Mark Rick arrived, he was a walk-on center, uh, obviously didn't play a whole lot. Um, but he's a smart guy and he, he studied law at Miami, graduated with his law degree at Miami. And now he represents athletes, college athletes, in this new NIL era. And one of them is walk-on linebacker Ryan Ragoni, who, oh, by the way, is about to launch a new podcast with De'Ara King. Two Houston guys is, is the name I told them they should, they should call it. Uh, but it's going to be a new podcast here coming out soon, De'Ara King and Ryan Ragone, uh, two guys out of the Houston area. And so, anyway, Adam... We had about a half-hour conversation about everything involved with the NIL, kind of some basic questions, you know, even things that affect me as a media member, you know. How do I think, uh, you know, how, how potentially could guys give interviews? Will, will they all be made available to the media? Will they just sign deals and only talk to certain media outlets, etc.? You know, how does this affect high school athletes, uh, the new NIL rules? Can they cash in? And who is really policing things? Uh, Adam is a very smart, bright, young lawyer, and I thought his interview was absolutely excellent. So I want you to hear that uh, first, and when that wraps up, we're going to come back with some interviews from Paradise Camp. I caught up with Sheldrick Redwine of the Cleveland Browns, former Hurricane Safety. Uh, I caught up with Calais Campbell, All-Pro Defensive Player of the Year, uh, now with the Ravens. And I also spoke, uh, spoke with Joaquin Gonzalez was very candid about his thoughts on the upcoming Miami season. Those three interviews I want to share with you as well. So anyway, here's the first interview with Adam Arnott, former Hurricane turned lawyer representing 
uh, several college players and very much involved in what the NIL is all about. Here he is. Your involvement with it right now, I mean, do you have some guys that you're advising, you know, I, and, and I know also you, you went to the University of Miami, correct? I did. I was actually a UM football player from 2014 to 2016. I played center under Coach Golden. Oh, okay. So, Great. Yeah, so so very, you know, personal connection to the school. Uh, obviously, that's kind of partly what drove me to ultimately get into this space. Mm -hmm. um, when I joined the team in 2014, I was, you know, pre-med to start and then fell in love with the sports law side of things after they threw the 400-page NCAA handbook in front of us and said, sign it, right? So so I kind of pivoted, uh, ended up staying at Miami for law school, went to UM Law, graduated in 2020, and then I also got my Master's of Law specifically in entertainment and sports law also from Miami Law School. So, so three-time Kane graduate. Really no interest in going anywhere else, as you can see. Um, but, yeah, so, so heavily focused on sports, and I really wanted to get back into this space because I see that there is a huge need. I know that there's going to be people who are taken advantage of, and I want to use you know the knowledge that I built up from an intellectual property and sports lawyer perspective and kind of combine that with everything that I learned from going through the grind, right? Like I can relate to players. I understand the grind. I understand, you know, what they're getting pressure-wise from agents. And I've definitely applied my knowledge from that experience to what I'm doing nowadays. Great. Did you, um, I guess right now in the early going, do you have any players that you're advising, whether it's Miami or other schools, you know, that, that are coming to you and saying, hey, we, I need your help, you know, with this. I do. I do. I've signed a linebacker at UM named Ryan Rigoni. Okay. And I'm also representing the King and Rigoni Show podcast. I'm working on Derek King and Ryan Rigoni's podcast that they're creating. Awesome. So I'm currently representing them in those negotiations. Um, but, yeah, obviously have a bunch of meetings lined up to try and expand, not only throughout football, also, other sports, really looking into the women's sports at UM and elsewhere, I think that that's a really underlooked area in terms of what can be applied to those non-revenue producing sports in this era. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to you know, take some more meetings with uh, female athletes and athletes in non-revenue producing sports as well. Um, but yeah, so I've focused the last few weeks really on uh, clients specifically. Obviously, we couldn't sign anything today, mm -hmm. um, so I, I my first signing was uh, Ryan Ragoni today. Awesome, and and I'm assuming there'll be more on the way. Like uh, obviously, Ryan's uh, I know his story being a you know former walk on, a guy who's played a role for Miami. Is there any other guys that have you know kind of maybe like in his situation that are reaching out to figure out ways to monetize their experience? had anyone reach out to me through okay. that per se okay. i've been doing a lot of reaching out to try and show my value add as an attorney there right. what i've come to find is that i'm having to really show the difference between the negotiating that they're going to get from a marketing agent versus what i can provide right so mm -hmm. the marketing agent has their company they have a lawyer that works for the marketing agent right, right. at the end of the day the lawyer that works for your marketing agency is obligated to do what's in the best interest of the marketing agency and ensure that they get theirs, their 20%, no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm here to take a step back and ensure that the deal is properly looked over from an IP perspective mm -hmm. because I want to make sure that a lot of clients are going to retain all of the necessary intellectual property rights. Right. I think something that we could run into is people signing uh, the little click to accept the terms and conditions type deals mm -hmm. if they get proposed something online through an app. And that presents a whole other host of issues, right? What IP are you giving away? Are they allowed to use your likeness for a year in perpetuity? You know what I mean? You have no idea if you just click, I accept the terms and conditions. Right. Um, I know you've been you know, working a lot in this area. You're familiar with Open Doors, right? Yes, I know that they uh, have a contract with the University of Miami, yes. Correct. So, so one of the questions that I have and I'm currently working through is when a brand makes an offer to a, an athlete on Open Doors 
and they click, yeah, I'm interested in this. I'd like to move forward with this. Where is the contract, and at what point is a contractual relationship formed there? Because I haven't seen any step in the process where there is an attorney there, and I'm very curious to see, like, on those kind of click-to-accept deals, is there going to be a sacrifice in terms of protecting the athlete from an exclusivity and intellectual property perspective simply because they're looking for the convenience of being matched up through an app? Right, right. Um, I, I, obviously, being a university member, I'm sure you're familiar with De'Ara King, and I know he's, he's obviously doing the podcast thing with you, but to see the start that he's kind of gotten off to, and I know maybe you don't represent all his other interests, but the fact that he's already signed, you know, a, a tw- essentially a $20,000 deal, um, you know, to be sort of a social media spokesman for, um, you know, a car agency and a towing service, I guess, and then... You know, now he, I guess later tonight he's going to have the the partnership with the Wharf. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, is this going the way you expected it? Is it going even faster than you thought it would for guys like Derek King? What what was sort of your expectations for day one? Honestly, this is really what I expected. I expected it to be a twelve oh 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 one kind of thing because this is really if you if you take a step back. And look at who historically has not been able to monetize their rights of publicity. College athletes are the only group of people in the United States who were prevented from monetizing this right that every other person in the U.S. has either by statute or by common law in their state. So I really expected this to go, you know, just about how it did. Brands that are interested in being aggressive and getting at the forefront of this type of thing were not going to wait to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And I think that we saw some brands do that last night, right? College Hunks Moving Junk and, uh, what was it, Murphy's Auto Group? I couldn't remember right. the name. I think yeah, it's Murphy's. Yep. So, so those two brands, right, are forever going to be known as the brands that at 12.00001 on day one were known for going after and diving into the space and exercising that sponsorship opportunity, right? I think this is even more so going to be remembered in the long term, uh, even aside from just, you know, the short-term impacts of him getting the revenue from the deal and everything like that. It's, it's a precedent-setting type mm-hmm. of thing because it shows that brands are able to dive into a completely untapped market. It's almost like a well that was, you know, non-existent before, right? This is the first time that any brand has been able to access it. And I think those that are eager to establish a presence in this space are going to set a precedent of innovation for a long time to come. Right. Um, I guess the digital trading cards is another aspect that's kind of unique because I know that's just sort of started out with with Mm -hmm. athletes and professional sports. What other, I mean, can you explain that a little bit, how that thing works? I don't know how familiar you are with the digital trading cards, but... Uh, yeah, so you're, are you talking like the NFT stuff? Yes, right. Yeah, absolutely. So so very familiar with that. I do have experience in cryptocurrency and blockchain law, so happy to speak on that as well. I think that is going to be a huge area for college athletes because what people are not realizing is that you can attach a utility function to that like token or digital trading card, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Derek can not only sell digital memorabilia, right? But what he can also do is have like game one on one with Derek, or yeah. do a meet and greet with Derek, or meet Derek at Murphy's Auto Group for an autograph on this day, right? And you can attach that utility, like a redemption loyalty program aspect type thing with the token or the trading card itself. So the opportunities that can be creatively sparked between brands and athletes is endless in terms of the potential activations that can be had from uh, pairing a sort of utility function to that digital memorabilia. I'm not sure if that was super clear. Like it, it's all, you know, kind of a little bit difficult to explain, but sure. does that kind of make sense? It's, yeah, it does. Think it, of it as... Yeah, so think of it as like a a digital trading card, right? So like if I have a digital Derek King card relating back to like what I do from an attorney perspective, 
Like, I got to make sure that the intellectual property of his name, image, and likeness are okay in that license that's being transferred to the person who's buying this digital memorabilia, right? right? So we don't want to give any use of the athlete's name, image, likeness, or rights of publicity that's beyond the scope of simply viewing it as a collectible or things like that. Another piece to this is that when you resell those digital trading cards, a royalty can be attached to it. So what Derek could do theoretically is if he sells an NFT, the person who buys it decides, you know what, I've appreciated this. For some reason, I don't want it anymore. They flip it to someone else. You can code and have baked into that transaction a 10, 15, 20% royalty back to Dieric for whatever the value of the sale was. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that, that's a whole other revenue stream that helps avoid, you know, delusion and people continually flipping cards because they don't think it's profitable, right? Dieric's going to get a cut of that every single time it's sold. Right. And that's really what I'm making sure from a legal perspective. I have to make sure the IP is okay there, that the rights that are transferred in that uh, digital collectible protect Dieric mm -hmm. or, you know, and the client in general, just generalizing here, protect the client, right? And that uh, when it's sold again, that the original creator is properly receiving the royalties that they're due. Gotcha. Feels like we're all going to need a law degree to really understand all this stuff, right? I mean, it, the kids, the, the the journalists, everybody who's who's sort of covering it, this change. It really is so complicated, and, and that's the crazy part. I've talked to you know the lawyers in Miami's compliance department for hours, and just trying to get a feel for how long do you think it's going to be before we have a you know real clear guideline in terms of what are the bright line rules here, what's going to be allowed, what's going to be good, and what's not. And the timeline that I was given was one to three years. Wow. If that gives you an idea of, you know, how they think this is going to play out. Because in reality, like, we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. in, in the past, when there was a violation of an NCAA rule, the compliance department was able to make a ruling based on the NCAA precedent. They can look to previous cases. They can say, oh, this person violated this rule. This is how the NCAA handled it. This is why you're suspended. Right? Right, right now, there is none of that. There's zero precedence to look to. And just to paint an example here in Florida, boosters or people that have a financial interest or attachment to the school can't cause a player compensation. Right. So they want to make sure that there's a nice separation between the boosters and the school and those financially involved on that end and the players themselves. So my question is, what happens if, you know, X booster decides that they want to partner with Dixie Auto Service and they give Dixie Auto Service $49,000 and Dixie Auto Service comes up with $1,000 and then Dixie Auto Service sponsors a Canes player for $50,000. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What's, what's going to happen there? Like, is there going to be an audit from the compliance department into the source of funds? You know what I mean? Because is that technically a booster directly paying an athlete? No. Is it functionally a booster paying an athlete? Yes. So, so these are all questions that, you know, I, when I'm thinking through potential legal issues here, I'm thinking, okay, we need to avoid any gray area that might result in you losing your eligibility, right? So if, if I'm just thinking from a counsel perspective, I would obviously advise entering into, advise against entering into a sponsorship like that, excuse me, because that, that, that's simply unclear in terms of like unsettled law that we're dealing with here, because no one knows how the school will react to that, how the NCAA would react to that, and quite frankly, whether any of that would even be found out. Right, yeah, who's gonna, who's gonna investigate all that? Um, here's something else, I mean, obviously with, in, in that same realm, you know, how do high school recruits sort of play into all this? Because obviously I know they don't want um, boosters and businesses to try to influence uh, where kids go to school because, you know, they, it's, that's kind of been what they've been after for years, right? Catching people mm -hmm. who are paying off recruits. Um, how do high school, can they profit off anything if, if they're, you know, a senior or um, are there laws against that right now? Or how, where does that sort of lie? That's sort of another gray area in my mind. 
To- yeah, totally, and you're correct. It's totally unsettled right now as to whether the NIL laws in Florida are going to actually apply to college athletes. As, I'm sorry, to high school athletes as well. What we do know for sure is that boosters or anyone with a financial interest associated with the university will not be able to do any sort of compensation to any high school athlete because that's considered an inducement to play for a certain university. So any compensation that's basically, in essence, directing a student to a certain school is going to be an automatic non-starter. That's not allowed. That's in the Florida statute specifically. But what's to stop a booster, somebody, you know, I guess paying, uh, I don't know, said athlete to come to a meeting degree to do an autograph signing? Is there any rule in place now to stop that? And, and that's a great question. I'm asking the same question. Okay. We're, honestly, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're looking for guidance on that as well. Right. It hasn't been settled yet whether the laws that are here at the collegiate level are also going to be applied to the college level. Mm-hmm. Um, it is currently on the books that anyone under the 18, or sorry, anyone under the age of 18 has to get special permission from the university because uh, they're a minor. Will there be rules implicating, you know, minors, obviously, at high schools, right? So so all of this is, you know, completely unsettled. Again, no precedent. So these are all going to be cases of first impression. The only way that we're really going to learn all of this is through people, unfortunately to say, messing up or getting hurt by this, right? right? So, like, we know that eventually someone is going to mess up, violate a rule, and we'll see what happens investigation-wise, right? The other issue is we don't know how schools are going to react if you bring in a competitive sponsor. I know that's also been heavily discussed. Like, we're in Adidas school, right? What happens if Nike or Jordan or someone like that wants to come in and sponsor? Well, on the books of the Florida statutes, they can't enter into sponsorships that are competitive to the school. Right. But because this is a law, a Florida statute now, right, as opposed to an NCAA bylaw that's doing the enforcement here, the people that would enforce the violation of that principle, if there was a competitive sponsor to the school's brand, it's a criminal penalty. You're violating a statute, right? So that's the Florida Attorney General's jurisdiction. Mm. Is the Florida Attorney General really going to come in and sue a Miami player for being sponsored by Nike after the state of Florida just spent two years grandstanding about how we're the land of opportunity and this is where you come get paid? I don't know. I mean, think of the optics of that, right? Like, that really doesn't make sense. Like, it's kind of counterintuitive to everything that Florida put on display for the whole rest of the country to follow for the past year and a half. Right. So, you know, these are all things that, You know, we're trying to think through the hypotheticals of which way it's going to go. But, you know, honestly, like, is it on the rule books that it's not allowed? Yes. Is Miami or is the Florida Attorney General going to come after someone if they enter into a competitive mark with UM? I have absolutely no idea. It seems like a, you know, a black mark optics-wise. Is it worth the trouble for them to do that? I guess it remains to be seen. You know, that'll be a cost-benefit analysis if they have to cross that bridge when they get there. This is sort of a selfish question, being somebody involved in the media, but this is something that did pop into my mind. What's, sure. What's to stop an athlete now from maybe signing a contract with a specific media entity to only give interviews to that specific media entity? Is that something at all that could potentially come up? Uh, and is it being discussed where, you know... It, you know, it absolutely could. It yes. absolutely could. And I've actually read stories today of players at big schools. Uh, I couldn't remember. I don't think the school was named, but I read somewhere that a group of five starters from one school signed a deal with the local radio station to give a, like, 10-minute interview with all five of them together once a week on the radio station, to go into the radio station and do something like that. And they're getting paid twenty-five grand a year for that. Wow. Right? So, I mean, it, it, it's completely correct for you to wonder because it's it's totally possible like i'm sitting here thinking even on a bigger scale let's think about the the licensing for the actual games themselves right like think about the college football playoffs what if 
a team is in the college football playoff. The game obviously shown on ABC ESPN, right, because they're the broadcaster that has the licensing rights there. What if a player does a deal with Amazon and they get paid $10,000 by Amazon to do the, an exclusive post-game show with Amazon, right. streamed on Amazon Prime Video? Is that going to be allowed? I don't know. Now we're implicating even more parties because we have to deal with the college football playoff, the conference, right, and the, the NCAA as a whole because you're dealing with the championship. So I, I completely agree with you there. I mean, that's a great question. Could we see something like that? I don't see why not. I mean, you know, if you want my honest opinion, this is just going to be like every other area of sports sponsorship where the exclusive categories are going to be sliced and diced and reinvigorated, right, like into oblivion. You know what I mean? You know how there's a sub-sponsor of every, like, sub-category now? Right. We've got, like, Manscaped is the official electric trimmer of the UFC. Like, we're, we're that specific where we're talking about the official electric trimmer of the UFC. And, and I think that that's eventually what's going to play out here. Because brands are not going to stop coming to this arena to be involved in this. It's just starting, right? And what we've seen is the very beginning. As there's more and more brands who recognize, oh, this is an essential part of our marketing budget. We have to be factoring this in because there's too much revenue given up if we don't get involved in this. I think you're going to see a total slicing and dicing of rights. So there will be exclusive beverage partner. Does beverage include alcoholic beverages, right? Does it include teas, milk, sodas, all that type of stuff where you hear about like stadium concession exclusivity? I really think you might end up seeing athletes with that type of exclusivity in specific industry verticals as well. Wow. It's going to be nuts. It really is. It's, it is. It's really going to be nuts. And, and I wish that I could provide you, you know, some more straight answers on some of those questions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even on my end, I, I feel like I'm, I have 97% questions and 3% answers because there's just there's nowhere that I can look towards for previous practical guidance. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, we just have absolutely no clue how they're going to enforce this at a large scale until it plays out. There's just no way to know. Right. Adam, um, I guess what do you foresee here as the biggest hurdle in the weeks and months ahead for athletes? I mean, do you think this is going to be a all of a sudden NCAA says, we gotcha, you broke the rule type of deal where over the next couple of weeks that's what we're going to see? I don't. I think the cat's out the bag. I think okay. the NCAA has nothing that they could come do at this point. And also, if you, if you just think of from a butting heads perspective, what would what was preventing players from exercising their rights of publicity in Florida was an NCAA bylaw, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, the NCAA is a nonprofit entity from Indiana. That has absolutely no effect on a Florida state statute. Right. So if you're going to put those up against one another, the NCAA has absolutely no ground to stand on from that perspective because you're not getting around a state statute. So I really don't think that they're going to be coming in and saying, hey, this is against the rules. You shouldn't be doing this mm -hmm. because like the schools have now the onus to make sure that this goes well to try and rein it in from a school perspective. Right. Like the schools don't want to lose players to some rogue ineligibility because they were afoul of an NIL provision, um, you know, just to be transparent from you, like I, as an agent and anyone else who's representing UM players, had to register with the UM compliance office and give them a bunch of information to make sure that we're in good standing. Like they confirm that I'm in good standing with the Florida Bar. If you're an agent, they have to confirm that you're a licensed marketing agent through the Florida Business Bureau. There's a lot of onus on the schools to make sure that everything is okay and above the water from the school's perspective because they don't want to get slapped with an ineligibility too. At the end of the day, this is all secondary. We're here to win national championships. And if you can't get on the field, you can't accomplish the most important purpose of why you're here at the school. Yeah, I'm interested to see how much of this becomes a conflict for guys in the middle of class. Like a guy like Derek King, he's, a, what is he, a seventh year senior at this point. He's finished with school, he's graduated, he's probably got his second degree. Um, but, you know, I'm talking about, you know, juniors, 
sophomores. Yeah. You know, how, does this sort of become an issue when classes are going on where they're... I think... Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think this is going to be a huge issue because I can tell you from personal experience, I was a double major in undergrad plus football. Didn't really do anything else outside of that. I mean, all of my time is taken up by just those two, right? There's just really not much you can do besides be a D1 football player and a student. You don't have that much time in your day outside of that. What it's going to take and those who are going to succeed in this era are those who craft meaningful, calculated, well-thought-out teams around them. Because at the end of the day, monetizing your rights of publicity is, in essence, creating a small business around your persona. So all of these guys who have just entered into deals as of last night, their persona is now a small business, right? So you have to run that like you're a business owner, which you are, right? So, like, I've been forming corporate entities for guys. Like, that's a huge part of this. We have to make sure that you're not only in compliance from an NIL law perspective, but you have to be a general business person now. Like, you are a small business owner. And like you said, they're in class, right? Obviously, Derek, she graduated, things like that. So, like, freshman, sophomore, like, you're in class or you're in football, do you actually have time to run the creative from the social media content, public relations from a media outreach perspective? Can you focus on running your business as well, like corporate compliance, right? So that's where I come in, like registered agent service, corporate entity formation. Outside of me, financial advising, who's going to deal with the financial implications and the tax implications from this? Right? Like, there's so many areas that are all ancillarily implicated because of this. And and I really think that what hasn't started yet that's going to become essential is building out a quality team of, you know, essentially a small business management team. Because these guys that are here to win national championships cannot be spending hours of their day drafting creative content and copy for sponsored social media posts and worrying about whether or not their, uh, like, checkbook is balanced out in their business bank account. Right. You know what I mean? Like, this is, just, this is just not what they're here to do. And also, it would take guys an extremely long time to become proficient in that because no one's ever been allowed to make money before. So yeah. nobody really has the money management skills to even be up to speed in that, in that arena. Well, and imagine... So Imagine how many head coaches are going to be saying, hey, you're spending too much time tweeting about this deal that you've got. I need you to focus on football, right? I mean, that's... A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it all circles back to who do you have in place around you to ensure that the pieces of your business team are kind of like self-sustained and is a wholly functioning ecosystem siphoned off from your duties and your ultimate focus, which is eating well, training well and putting a good product on the field because that's i mean like if if you want to boil it down we have to forget all the nil stuff if you really want to look at the reason why guys are here like guys are here to play well and win championships that is why you come to school here and that has to remain first and foremost so i completely agree with you that we need to be fearful of that and i'm i'm concerned that some guys are just going to see dollar signs accept the deal Right on open doors or something, click to accept the terms and conditions, enter enter themselves into a deal that they're you know maybe not too familiar with or at least not as familiar with it as they should be, and then all of a sudden you're stuck with all of these business assets and liabilities like intellectual property concerns. If you're doing a brand partnership, if you're doing sponsored ads, you have to have federal trade commissions compliance and disclosures like. They're not thinking about this. And if you don't hire the proper team, you're completely going to run afoul of, like, all of the little nuances associated with, quote-unquote, running a small business, which you are. Right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all unfolds. Uh, Adam, I, I really appreciate all the time you gave me. Do you, do you think – I mean, I, obviously, I know Ryan Ragoni is trying to, to profit off this uh, with the podcast, but – Beyond the De'Ara Kings, beyond the Bubba Boldens, do you see this being lucrative for, like, everybody on the roster? Or do you see this more as, you know, the stars are probably going to make the bulk of the money and, you know, other guys are going to just kind of collect when they can? 
so I see a, a couple different tiers. So you've got tier A, which is your your King, Bolden, Blades, Silvera, right? Like your, your huge names who will have the opportunities coming to them, right? So I would say that that is unique to tier A, which is your superstars, high number of social media followers and engagement, you know, nationwide name recognition, that type of thing. So that's one tier. The second tier is not going to have the opportunities brought to them like tier A is, but tier B has the exact same opportunity as tier A has. And if the tier B guys invest more in terms of creating content and showing people what their interests are as a person outside of the football field, I think there is huge opportunity for people that take advantage of the opportunity to create content. And that's much more so important for those tier B guys who are not going to have the opportunities coming to them than it is the tier A guys. But the tier B guys can absolutely start monetizing and, you know, creating social media content around things that they're passionate about outside of football. And I think that's how you capture an additional market of fans to tap into that's not currently there, right? So if I have a client who says that they're super interested in cars outside of football, I would go after sponsors in the car or automotive arena. I would tell them to be creating social media content in that arena because the Canes fans that are going to follow them already follow them because they're Canes fans. Like, we see you every Saturday on the field. I know who you are as the football player. Show me who you are and what your personality is like outside of the football player. Right. Because then you can tap into the car fan market, right? Like if they're a fan of cooking, you create cooking content, you can target and engage with and interact with social media accounts that are cooking-based, right? So that's what's going to require, obviously, more effort in terms of the content creation perspective, right? But the opportunity is completely there. Like I follow this walk-on lineman. I think he goes to UNC on TikTok. And this guy has like one and a half million followers on TikTok or something. And he's like the fourth string center for UNC. Mm-hmm. But he's hilarious, absolutely hilarious on TikTok with the content that creates. And he can now, you know, monetize to a million plus followers, right? And he doesn't start. He doesn't play. He's not famous or have a bunch of followers or high social media engagement because of his on-field product. Right. <laughs> the, the best case example is... You know, it's, it's a sad story now to reflect on, but do you know who Donald D, D. LaHaye is? He was a kicker for UCF about five years ago. Yes, I think he lost his eligibility, right? Exactly. So he started creating YouTube videos because he loved social media and YouTubing. So he started, you know, outside of football, starting to create his own YouTube channel to show off his skills in that arena. They stripped his eligibility, but now we can look back and say, wow. That is the perfect example of an athlete trying to capture a completely different segment and demographic than they would have captured should they have been marketing purely from a football perspective or just posting football pictures from the game on Saturday. Now we know this guy's interests off the field, and he's going to capture a whole completely different set of fans and a different demographic than he would have if he only posted football stuff. So that's real. like, I'm definitely trying to advise clients that I come into contact with to make their personalities known uh, and, and bring that kind of outside of football side of their persona to life because that's where the content creation opportunities will lie, especially for those tier B guys who are going to have to kind of jumpstart the social media content on their own. They're not going to have the sponsored uh, social media and endorsement opportunities coming to them. Right. They, They need to draw eyeballs in their own unique way. Exactly, exactly. And everyone has the opportunity to do so. It's just going to boil down to whether or not you create good enough content. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so so that's the opportunity there. Is it different than the Tier A guys? Absolutely. Is the opportunity there? 100%. Right. Adam, I really appreciate it. I, I thank you so much for all your time. And I, you know, I, I spoke to or I emailed, exchanged an email. I was hoping to maybe use some of this for my podcast because obviously it's a hot topic. Is that all right if I use some of what we talked about for the podcast? Yeah, absolutely.
absolutely. All right, great, great. And uh, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm helping my parents move right now, so I'm not writing anything fresh until I get back next week. Um, sure. But uh, I, I appreciate all your time, and I'm going to see if I can send uh, this recording in for um, to my audio editor and have him post a new podcast for me, so I appreciate it. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate the time. And yeah, seriously, you know, this is my cell. Mm-hmm. Anytime you've got questions on this, absolutely happy to be a resource. And, you know, any questions you have, if you need feedback on anything that you might hear in terms of changes or anything like that, always happy to be a source on this type of stuff. So really appreciate the opportunity, Manny. Well, thank you. And if you have any guys, any any clients that, you know, are launching something new, uh, I'm always looking for interesting stories. Hey, this guy's launching this, you know, so the, the, the whole podcast with, Derek and Ryan, um, do you know when that might actually be going starting up? Or I don't have a hard date that I could give to you right now. I can tell you, I, I can't tell you the name of the sponsors, but I can tell you that we have secured a sponsor and are currently working on our first contract for an endorsement for the podcast, mm-hmm. and we'll be working on a number more of those as the weeks come along. Cool. And so you're representing both of them, obviously, Derek and Ryan. Yes, for the podcast. Yeah, so I haven't signed Derek outside for like independent legal representation outside of that, mm-hmm. but I have signed Ryan independently, and then working on the podcast for both of them as well. Cool. Two Houston guys with a podcast. Cool. I like it. Absolutely. Maybe that should be the title, right? Two Houston's in a podcast. <laughs> All right. There you go. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate all the time. Absolutely, Manny. Really appreciate you talking to me, and we'll be in touch soon. All right. Cool. Take care. All right, so you just heard my interview with Adam. Uh, Riveting stuff, uh, really interesting stuff in my opinion. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Now I want to get to the Paradise Camp interviews because I did get a chance to talk to Calais Campbell. Barry Jackson and I of the Miami Herald walked around once Paradise Camp ended and caught up with a few former Hurricanes, had some questions for him. And I wanted to share this first interview with Calais Campbell. Here he is. Quality of players come out. What, what does it say about the UM brand that you and Michael and all of these high caliber players still come, even though the program maybe isn't winning at the level it once did? I don't think, I mean, obviously winning is the standard that we want to win, but, you know, I mean, our legacy is a legacy, you know? And so, like, I mean, you know, I mean, what made us special in the first place is the fraternity, you know? And I think that builds a winning program in a sense because usually, you know, you know good young players want to be part of that family. You know, and so hopefully, you know, uh, you know, I mean, this is really an excuse for us all to get together and be able to connect and bond like we, you know, like we, like we do, you know. Uh, but also just be able to inspire and teach and help kids understand the game of football at a higher level. And you know, some of these kids, hopefully, some of them end up uh, as hurricanes. And uh, when they do, you know, that, you know, just see what kind of family they become a part of. I just wanted to ask. Obviously, you guys have continued to crank out NFL guys, but I feel like in a lot of ways you've been carrying the flag as far as premier, you know, Pro Bowl, All Pro guy. The last few years, we've seen fewer guys get selected. When you see Jalen Phillips, when you see Greg Rousseau get taken first, do you feel like okay, we've got a, a new tradition kind of coming along here soon? Uh, I mean, I won't call it a new tradition, but I just feel like uh, you know, you know, it's good to see. You know, I feel like we represent who we are and putting guys in the league. And, uh, and and turning into guys into superstars, you know, uh, see that you know, potential still there. You know, these young guys who can play, who I think will be great players. Both those guys do have monster careers, you know, and uh, you know, and I feel like that's really good for the program and really just, you know, I mean, these are guys who like, you know, I mean, I came in and spoke to and told them, like, man, hey, I'll give you all my knowledge, you know, if you want it, you know, and just seeing them soak it up and like care about what I have to offer, you know, just the kind of value I can, I can love on them and give them, you know, my knowledge. You know, it's always dope to be able to come to things like this and talk to them and, and share with them. And, you know, I think they're going to have, you know, incredible careers, you know. But for what it says about the team and what the program is, you know, having two first-round picks, you know, uh, you know, two D-linemen, you know, I, I, it's, it's great. It's great to see. And I hope it inspires more people to come to school here. Yeah. And one other quick thing. You were so giving with your time with Greg over the last couple of years helping Rousseau. Is there a young defensive lineman in among this group, the returning players you've sort of eyeballed and developed their relationship you with You know what? Uh, I think in Greg's, uh, uh, you know, in his uh, uh, situation, it's a little different because uh, he's so so similar to my, my, my couple I was. You know, just with his body type and the way he moves and stuff. So I, I saw a unique opportunity to really share you know, uh, some tools I know for a fact works for his style, you know, 
And so, uh, you know, it's a unique uh, you know, situation that allowed me to really give them a lot more knowledge. But yes, you know, I mean, there are guys who I, I, mean, I try to, you know, walk, you know, usually come come back at least once a year and talk to the guys on the team and try to, you know, just be able to, you know, let them use me as a resource to, you know, you know just understand technique better, understand how to watch tape better and all that stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, I haven't, I, like, there's not one person I, uh, you know, I talk to more than anybody else. What, what might you tell recruits about Jess Simpson? He's a guy who's been in the NFL, obviously, with the Falcons, and he's back here again. Just as a defensive line coach, obviously producing the two first-round picks, what he's teaching the guys here at the camp. What do you think of him, and how do you think maybe you can sell that to recruits? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, he's had, he has a great resume. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's coached a lot of great D-linemen, and, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he's just, his, his D-lines do well, you know. And so, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I don't think I have to sell him too much. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you just pay attention and see, I mean, you want good coaching, you know, and coming to Miami, you know, you're going to get NFL level coaching, especially in the D-line position. And uh, so, you know, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, I mean, watch him do drills and what he talks through drills and stuff. It's like, yo, you know, I mean, that's a good coach. You know, yeah. that's a real good coach. And, you know, to be able to have that NFL level coaching in college gives you a big head start. Last one for me is just Manny Diaz, where you see the program now in year three. You know, it seems like they're getting better recruits. They were better last year. They got a quarterback now. How do you sort of view the home? Yeah, I think I think uh, you know. I mean, when I first when I first uh, when he first when he got first first got hired, I had high expectations, but I knew it was gonna take a couple of years. And then we had you know you know we had some big games and big opportunities, and it was like okay, you know. But I knew, it takes a little bit, you know. It takes you to get, get, get a couple of years of recruiting, get your own guys in. I feel like right now we're getting ready to take that step up again. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, I just I think he's, you know, as a coach, I think he has he checks all the boxes as far as uh, you know as, as a leader and a guy that people want to follow. If you get your team to buy in, when you have a talented group like we have, you know, it puts us in a position to be very successful. And I love that we're opening up, you know, with, with a huge game. You know, in, 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 in Alabama, and I've already been talking trash to all my Alabama friends. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm, but I'm confident. I think that, you know, I mean, it's going to be competitive, that's for sure. You know, and I hope we win. You know, I think we got a good chance to, you know, especially if we have, you know, a quarterback back healthy. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, man, uh, the program, you know, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's still a family. You know, no matter how many games we won or lost over the last, you know, whatever, 10 plus years, you know, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, this is this, this a fraternity, you know, the brotherhood that we have here, and uh, especially the guys that go to the NFL, you know, it's very special. All right, so you heard from Calais. Now, one of my favorite Keens all time besides Calais is Joaquin Gonzalez because Joaquin <laughs> will say whatever he wants to say, unabashed, you know, honesty all the time from him. And I thought it was really interesting. We talked a lot about expectations for this coming season. Obviously, Miami you know, with the team, the number of uh, seniors that they've got coming back, De'Ara King, a quarterback, a lot of excitement for the hurricane season. Uh, but you know what? Joaquin is very realistic. He knows that uh, beating Alabama is probably a long shot. So we talked about Alabama. We talked about Miami's coaching, Garen Justice, all of those sort of things. Interesting conversation. Here's what Joaquin had to say. So what do you think, man? I mean, you, you were here, what, two years ago? And now... Uh... Yeah, I mean, this is awesome, bro. This is awesome, you know, from from my point of view, coming into coach and being reunited with a bunch of the guys that I played with and the old heads from the program. It's awesome from a point of view for the kids. It's an unbelievable recruiting tool. Really showcases the program. Uh, and it really gives these coaches an opportunity where you see a lot of the local talent. I was really taken back by how many kids from out of state are actually here. And they're also, because of the date that it's happened, being able to take advantage of some of the recruits that they actually have on official visits. So I think this is, I mean, there's very few programs that have this much talent that has gone through their doors to be able to have such a thing like a paradise camp. You know, obviously you can name a couple of them. But this is just uh, unreal compared to some of the other camps that are out there. So, I was going to ask you, too, about Manny and the program. I mean, obviously, the first year we were all like, okay, this looks uh, like he's got quarterbacks now. Right. It seems like there's a good team coming back. Yeah, you know, I think this is obviously we hope one is, you know, up to speed, you know, come week one. It looks like he's progressing nicely. Um, you know, this is a big year. This is a big year for the program to step up and, you know, grow. Uh, I think a lot of these guys have had a lot of recruiting classes come through here with a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think development has always been a question, you know, for a lot of years here. So if they can put that all together and really kind of, you know, show, you know, 
It's simple. Win the games that we're supposed to. Compete in the ones that we know that we're going to have a tough time. You don't have to win those. But fuck, lose to Alabama by fucking 10, not fucking 35. Yeah, and compete, you know, and show competition, show that you belong to play an opponent like that. We haven't seen that. So we get a first test in Alabama. Everybody, you know, obviously, listen, let's be realist. I want them to fucking win. I, I expect them to win. But you know what? I More importantly right now, given the state of the program where it's been the last couple of years, I want them to show some progression. I want them to show some balls. I want them to show out and really fucking compete. And we have the talent. We have the talent. I feel, I feel like the coaches, the assistant coaches, Coach Justice, uh, Coach Simpson, and it feels like it's upgraded. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm, being with Coach Justice, again, I've talked to him quite a bit. He recruited Ryan Rodriguez. I came out of Columbus. So I've had a lot of time to spend with him. Um, so I'm really excited at the O-line group. I think he has, uh, he's got a tremendous crew. They look great. They're, they're way bigger than we ever were when I was here. Um, again, but it takes a little bit more. It takes everybody gelling at the same. So I think we're all right. We're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. But now they, you know, the kids have to do the work. Yeah. If not, it's going to be a different story. Do you think, I mean, in terms of the quality of coaching, because you guys, you talk about player development. Do you think it's getting back to that point? Because now they got... I think it's too early to tell. I think you know. I think it's too early to tell. Rousseau wasn't here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Rousseau was here. Jalen was here for a uh, fucking a cupcake and a fucking diet coke. So you know what? Yeah, you get good. You know, there's a lot of fucking transfer portal, but I think it's too early to tell. You know, the progression of some of these kids. This year will be a big year for that. This year will be a good measure for that. And see, you know, yeah, people ask me all the time, it's like, when when did you feel as a player part of that program back from 97 to 01 when we started to shift, you know, the tide started shifting? Everybody points, going your Florida State, and, you know, the shot. To me, it was when we beat UCLA. That was in 99. That was my sophomore year. That was a game that was postponed by a hurricane. That, 30, 40, but, 40, 40, and it was at halftime. We were down by three scores. And we came back. And Butch Davis sat down. Our starting middle linebacker, Nate Webster, start, uh, uh, sat down. James Jackson. Again, that's the uh, EJ blows up for 298 yards. But that showed us that we had a fucking fight. That game meant nothing to us and meant everything to them because they were playing in the national championship game. So to be able to do that, it showed some fucking swag. It showed some, like... You know, right. some real piss and vinegar to come back. Right. So I'm hoping, man. I got I'm my hoping too. That's a big year. <laughs> I'm hoping too. If not, there's gonna be a lot of fucking people on the fucking chopping block. Yeah. Starting yeah. with Blake James Dunn. That's my fucking opinion. All right. So that was the interview with Joaquin. We're gonna wrap it up with my conversation with Sheldrick Redwine, who spent a lot of time after Paradise Camp talking to one specific high school football player locally, who had a lot of questions about how to get recruited. Sheldrick was a guy who was kind of an interesting success story himself. You know, he didn't really get a Miami offer until signing day uh, and was going to be going to Louisville before Hurricanes coaches sort of came in at the last minute. So he was giving this young man advice about uh, what, it, what it takes to get recruited. And I was sitting there waiting for him for almost 10, 15 minutes to finish talking to this young man. But it just shows you the dedication and the passion a kid like Sheldrick has I call him a kid, of course, because he's, he's in his early 20s, but he's, he's, he's a young man. But anyway, I wanted you to hear what Sheldrick had to say. We, talk, we touched on a bunch of different topics. Here's my final interview with Sheldrick Redwine. I just want to get your thoughts, man. You were here, part of the team that went 10-3 and 3 and everything. Just obviously the last couple of years, the way Manny's building back up. What do you think? Man, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I love Coach Diaz. I love what he stands for. You know, I love him as a coach, you know, so I already know that the guys that are going to be here are going to be coached to the fullest extent, you know, so I already know they're going to be like, that's what he produces. You know, he produces good coached guys, you know, that's going on to the NFL and transition well to the NFL, you know, so I feel like that's what they're building here. You know, they're building a camaraderie that I could feel, you know, within the team. And then it, it, it's like, it's real pleasing for me to see young guys that were under me, like now being able to step into a leadership world, you know, like Gilbert. You know, people telling me he's a community, like the heart of the defense, being able to communicate and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. and I just understand that, you know, he's done a lot of work for himself. And at the same time, I understand that's the type of players that Coach Diaz molds. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I love what, you know, what the camp has done, you know, what UM is doing and what Miami is doing. You, your career, man. I mean, the NFL, how's it going? And just uh, how do you how do you sort of foresee the future here in the next couple of years? And it's going good. You know, I, I'm enjoying my experience in the NFL. You know, uh, going on to my third year, you know, time flies, you know, so it'd be crazy to just to say that I'm going into my third year. Yeah. You know, so it's been a great experience. You know, I'm loving Cleveland, you know, and it's just been 
you know, how I've been playing majority of the time is really just been opportunity ball, you know. Mm-hmm. Whenever my number's called, I just try to step in and just capitalize on my opportunity as best as possible. You were a guy who, I know you had a Louisville offer and all that, but mm-hmm. Miami came in the last minute. You were mm-hmm. a guy who kind of rose. What do you tell the young guys here, like the one you were just talking to, who don't have a ton of offers, who maybe were kind of like you, like not major league recruited by everybody in the country? Mm-hmm. I tell them, like, because I went through the process, you know, of not having offers and stuff at, at, for like three years, you know, so I just tell them, you know, like, just control what you can control, you know, don't worry about, you know, don't 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 just come to these type of camps, you know, and just worry about the offers, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that. You know, I tell them just work and develop on yourself, you know, and then, you know, what's going to be is what's going to be, you know, you I tell them control what you can control, you know, and outside of that, you know, there's no reason to worry, you know, so I just tell them just keep developing yourself, you know, develop his game and develop as a man, you know, because that's, that's what we always want to have to fall back on after this. NIL, uh, how do you think that's going to change the game, you know? The, what? The, the kids being able to get paid now for name, image, and likeness. Oh, that's that's a that's a huge game changer, you know. I was talking to um, Blaze earlier, you know, and he's a real creative player, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, creative mind, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So having those and being able to monetize those opportunities that's presenting them, you know, it's going to be a huge shift. In, you think you know more guys would have stayed? Had there been, like, you know, maybe... I do, you know, actually. Like guys like Trajan, who maybe weren't getting, you know, big-time mm-hmm. projections in the NFL. If he was making some money here, you think he might have stayed? I do feel like that if this rule was in effect like years ago, it would have had some effect on some players that would have stayed and wouldn't, you know, but I, I love the rule, you know, I wish this rule was here when I was here, you know, because <laughs> I'd be trying to just find ideas on just how, you know, just to do whatever, just but to make some money, yeah. just to make some money, you know, and it's, it's a good opportunity to get them introduced. I feel like it's a good opportunity, you know, just to get them introduced to the business side, you know, mm-hmm. so now they're being able to have these opportunities and now they're being able to, you know, monetize and then articulate you know business transactions before they even get to the nfl yeah you know so it's like a molding process to be able to okay now we're going to start at least introductory level business right. and now you can be able to understand that you yourself are valuable and now you we're giving you a platform to be able to make yourself your own value and pay you for it do you think i mean i don't know if you had everything you wanted when you were at UM, but do you think with nil you would have been able to get things that you needed or things that you wanted or were you pretty taken care of without it I was pretty straight, but I definitely would have exercised all avenues within this new rule. Yeah. So, you know, it, I, I like I was cool, but like, you know, I, I, I try to, you know, like deem myself like a creator, like an artist. I just see stuff and try to make art out of it. So being able to have this while I was in college, you know, what I'm saying I'm understanding like the marketing side now. Mm-hmm. But being able to, you know, have this having this rule just being coming into effect. You know, I would have just went in heavy studying about marketing, just how to market myself and just be able to capitalize because at the end of the day, you know, we play this sport and we risk our bodies. So we should get monetized for that because it's a right. we, we risking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's all risk. And you got to give some reward with risk and reward. It got to be a push and pull. It can't just be, we, you know, like we just play football and then, you know, they talk about the education. But, you know, you can't you can't survive strictly off education, you know. So it's great that they monetizing. You were on that that uh, team that would have been involved in a twelve team playoff had you, had they had the playoffs, the, mm-hmm. one, that, the one that went ten to two. How do you think that might have changed things? Man, you guys would end up playing Auburn, by the way. That man, that would have been crazy, man. I, I I never really understood really like the playoff. Like I I understand I understood it with the sixteen team playoff, but you know I feel like. Me and Joe Jackson, Joe Jackson at Cleveland right now, we always talk about our defense. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I really feel like, and if we were able to get into that playoff, I don't, man, I, I got such faith in our defense and just how how much fun we had, you know what I'm saying? Because, mm-hmm. like, that's a, that's a part of the game that a lot of people overlook. You know what I'm saying? A lot of teams, a lot of good teams, you know, you got to have players that's having fun playing together. So when you got a group of guys that's having fun playing together and at the same time you have dominant guys all within their own attributes, that's what makes a scary team. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So I feel like, you know, just my mindset, I can't see anybody beating us that hasn't actually beaten us. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it would have been a fun, interesting thing. Oh, yeah, it would have sure. definitely been fun. You know, I, 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 <laughs> would I, you have I, been able to play? Because you guys were going to play like 15 or 16 games. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I already... What do you mean, like, if I would have been able to play? Well, because the 12-team playoff, you guys would have been a 10 seed that year. Because mm. oh, instead okay. of playing the Orange Bowl against Wisconsin, you would have played Auburn in the playoff. Okay. That's the way it would have been set up. Oh, okay. The play. Oh, yeah. And then you would have had, that was that would have been the quarterfinals. Then you would have had the semifinals and national championship. You would have had to play maybe three more oh, games. Oh, yeah. That, I, that, I definitely would have. 
I, I definitely like to see a playoff system come to college football, you yeah. know, because that'll make it, you know, it, it, it makes it fun, you get what I'm saying? And then it's not like, you know, like a lot of those guys who barely make, you know, barely or mm-hmm. get left it's out on the It's always the same edge. four teams, right? Yeah, isn't it's always the same four teams. So, you know, just yeah. make it fun and have those guys out there, you know, playing with that vision of, okay, we in a wild card. So now we know yeah. we got to play three games to get to the national championship. Right. And it's like, you know, you, you incentivizing it more opposed to just putting them in a bowl game that they can actually win the championship, you know, and it keeps it fun. And then, you know, just having those guys, giving them that push that, okay, and it's going to bring guys together. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Having 10 teams in the playoff and you know, like, it's our group versus they group, you right. know, and it's ten of them for this one championship. So, mm-hmm. you know, would have been good, man. I, I would have loved it. <laughs> All right, so that's gonna wrap it up for this week's segment of Wide Right. We'll be back to talk more recruiting, talk more NIL, talk about the season that's just around the corner. September fourth opener at Alabama. I will be going to every single Miami Hurricanes game this season. Got a travel budget. I will be going out on the scene to see high school teams and recruits and so forth. Busy, busy, busy time coming up for me, uh, including ACC Media Days, July 20th through the 22nd up in Charlotte, North Carolina. I will be there for that. I hope to bring you some more interesting interviews. But for now, hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll get back to you soon.